Well, good morning. I just love baptisms, whether it's a child of a covenant partner or whether it's a new believer. Um, love celebrating that and reaffirming our own baptismal um, commitments with one another. Uh, you know, the, the Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy once said that every great story begins in one of two ways. Either somebody went on a journey or a stranger came to town. And when you think about it, most of the great stories start that way. And, and this morning, I want to talk about going on a journey. Because that is this epic theme throughout great literature, throughout the world. I mean, going all the way back to the epic of Gilgamesh in ancient Samaria, to Homer's Odyssey, from Dante's Divine Comedy, to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. From Disney Plus's The Mandalorian to Avengers Endgame, going on a journey is one of the perennial themes of great stories. And I suspect that this is because going on a journey is one of the primary metaphors for the meaning of life throughout the world. Seeing our lives as a journey reminds us that it isn't just about the destination where we're going, but that it's also about the process, how we get there, the paths that we choose along the way, and who we become as we're on the journey. Life really is a journey, and we have been in this series through the I Am statements of Jesus from the Bible's book of John, and we have two more I Am statements left. And today we're going to look at Jesus as the way. And as we explore Jesus' words from John chapter 14 when he says, I am the way, we're going to see that Jesus pictures our lives with him as being a journey. And we're going to see four epiphanies, four surprising insights about this journey of life when we join our journey to Jesus. So let's begin with the text, and I want to invite you, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word today? We're going to be in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. These are the words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. If that were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you were going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can be seated. Jesus has just finished his last supper with his closest friends who he called apostles. And during that meal, Jesus told his followers that the defining mark of their lives ought to be their love. Their love for one another. To love as he has loved them. 
But during that meal, Jesus warned them of some bad things that were just about to take place. That one of those sitting at the table would betray him. Another sitting at the table would disown him. That Jesus would be arrested and turned over to the hands of the Romans and ultimately executed. But here in chapter 4, he tells them not to let their hearts be troubled. Well, he's given them some very troubling news. News that would weigh heavily upon anybody's heart. In fact, the way verse 1 is written in the Greek that it's translated from English in, it implies that their hearts were already troubled from the words that he had spoken in chapter 13. It was weighing heavily upon their hearts. And so Jesus here invites them to trust him. You believe in God, you already believe in God, now believe also in me. These 12 apostles were God-believing people. From their very childhood, they had been raised to trust and believe in God and his promises. And here Jesus invites them to take all of that faith, all of that belief, all of that trust that they have held for God all of their lives and to place it all in Jesus. It's really a remarkable invitation that Jesus is making here. Jesus says that he is about to leave, that he is about to embark on a journey that he must travel alone. His journey is one back to his father's house, and his father's house is a picture of heaven. Now, back in 1611, when the King James Bible was translated, those who translated this passage translated verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. And, and that translation has led some people to imagine heaven as this like upscale gated neighborhood where everybody gets their own specially custom home, kind of like the houses you might see on the Real Housewives franchise or on the old lifestyles of the rich and famous documentary. But back in 1611, the word mansion simply meant room which is why most modern English translations translate it like the NIV does here, many rooms. So I, I'm sorry to disappoint you if you were hoping to keep up with the Kardashians when you get to heaven. But Jesus is picturing heaven as one big house with many, many rooms. Plenty of rooms for anybody who wants to be there. And Jesus is about to embark on a journey to that house to prepare a place for you, for me. He's going ahead of us like an advanced scout, like a reconnaissance soldier, like a pioneer. And for Jesus, this journey back to his father's house will be a journey of suffering. It will be a journey that includes betrayal, arrest, crucifixion, and death. In fact, John's gospel calls this journey that Jesus takes to the cross his glory. In the, in the gospel of John, the clearest manifestation of the greatness and majesty of Jesus is seen in his suffering on the cross. You know, when Cindy and I bought the house that we're in right now, we didn't have any place to live for a week. 
We, we moved out of our San Dimas townhouse and we put all of our worldly possessions in a huge U-Haul truck and we couldn't move into our new house for seven days. And since it was summertime and since at that time both of us worked at Azusa Pacific University, APU graciously let us stay in student housing. And so for a week, we lived in a place affectionately called the Mods, which are modular buildings, usually for sophomore housing. And we crammed all seven of us into this double-wide mobile home for seven days while we parked our U-Haul right next to the campus safety building so they could keep an eye on our, on our worldly possessions. And we waited for our house to be ready. You see, the new house was still being prepared. Repairs were being done. Inspections were being completed. And probably most importantly, the loan was being funded so the seller could receive full and final payment. Jesus' journey of suffering was to prepare our place in his Father's house, our place in heaven, while we wait in a temporary dwelling this life right here on this earth for him to pay the price and get everything ready for move-in day. And although Jesus is going on this journey alone, Jesus promises in this passage that he will come back and take us to be with him so that we can always be with him. And although some people think that Jesus in verse 3 was talking about coming back from the dead in his resurrection, it's more likely that Jesus was talking about his second coming at the end of the age. In fact, verse 3 of chapter 14 is the clearest verse about the future second coming of Jesus in John's gospel. And when Jesus does return, we will be with him. Now, with all this talk about leaving, in verse 5, Thomas finally blurts out probably what all of them were thinking. Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? They'd invested three years of their lives following Jesus, and now he announces that he's leaving and that he has to go on this part of his journey alone. And the word way dominates verses 4, 5, and 6. Jesus, you know the way. Thomas, we don't know the way. Jesus, I am the way. This conversation suggests that the word truth and the word life in verse 6 are actually extensions and secondary to the word way. The word way is the focus of this conversation. That since Jesus is the way, no one can come to the Father, and by extension, no one will have a room in his Father's house except through Jesus and this journey that he is going on. He is the only way back to his father's house. But what does Jesus mean by being the way here? You know, the Greek word translated way is only used four times in John's gospel. Three times right here in the passage I just read, and then once back in chapter one of John. So to understand what Jesus is saying, let's go back to chapter one of John. John 1.23 says that John the Baptist replied with the words of the Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Same word, the way. 
Only other time this word is used in John's gospel. It's a quotation from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. As John the Baptist quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, to describe his work of preparing the way for Jesus. But you know, the word way actually occurs a lot in the book of Isaiah, more than 20 different times. And Isaiah's use of this phrase, the way, actually helps us understand the background of what Jesus is saying. I mean, let's look at the full verse that John the Baptist quotes in John 1. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So the way in Isaiah 40, verse 3, is a path, a highway through the desert, a road through the dangerous wilderness. And don't let the word highway confuse you. This is not like a paved 210 freeway kind of thing. This is more like the Oregon Trail in the, the TV show 1883. It's a dangerous way. It's a well-known path people would travel along in order to try to stay safe in the barren, dangerous wilderness. Now, there are numerous other passages in Isaiah we could look to if we had time, but let me just give you one more. Isaiah 35, 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Isaiah is picturing the people of God being made holy as they walk along this way, this path through the desert, through the barren wilderness. This way is a transformational journey, a highway through the wild desert places. You see, these verses about the way in the book of Isaiah are actually looking back further, further all the way to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament and the story of Israel. And you might know the story. The people of God were slaves in Egypt. And so they cried out to God to save them. And so God sent them Moses. And Moses confronted the king of Egypt and demanded that he let God's people free. And to help persuade the king, Moses performed numerous miracles. But the king was stubborn and refused to set the people free until finally God sent judgment on Egypt, resulting in the death of every firstborn in Egypt. But because of the blood of the lambs that had been killed in preparation for the Passover meal, God's judgment that struck the Egyptians passed over all of the people of God because of the blood of the Lamb. And then Moses led God's people out of their slavery in Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea and into the wild, barren desert. And there in the wild, barren wilderness, God entered into a covenant relationship with his people. And the people of God journeyed through that barren desert for 40 years until God finally brought them to the promised land, their home. See, the Exodus is Israel's origin story. But it's also our story as well as Christians. It's a story of what Jesus has done for us. 
Because we too were enslaved, not by Egypt or by any other political entity, enslaved because of our own sins and the consequences that sin has wreaked in our lives. And so God sent Jesus to be our deliverer, our savior, the one to set us free. And through his own suffering, he delivers us from our slavery to sin. Jesus became the lamb that was slain to cover our sins. That just as God's judgment passed over the people of God because of the blood of the lamb in the Exodus story, God's judgment passes over you and I because of Jesus, the lamb of God. And just as Moses led the people of God through the Red Sea in the waters of baptism, the New Testament makes this connection. We become joined to the people of God. And God enters into a covenant with us. Covenant we remember every time we celebrate communion together. And now we too are on a journey through the barren desert, through the dangerous wilderness, towards our true home. But you won't find our final true home on a map like Israel had. It's not defined by borders or by nations. It's what Jesus here calls his father's house. That's where you belong. That's our true home. And this story, the Exodus story, and its use of Isaiah as background, form the background for this seventh I am statement that Jesus is the way. He is the way through the wilderness. He is the highway of holiness from our slavery to sin to our freedom in his father's house. He is the one we follow, enable us to pass from slavery and death into life and freedom. And with that background in mind, let me just briefly give you four epiphanies based on this text. And here's the first. Since Jesus is the way, following Jesus sustains us during the difficult parts of our journey. Following Jesus sustains us. Just like Israel's journey through the wilderness, their 40 years was hard sometimes. Our journey in life is hard. The picture on the screen is of switchbacks, switchbacks on a trail. These 180 degree bends in a trail lead up the steepest parts of a mountain. And switchbacks are hard. What are some of the switchbacks in our journey? I can think of a few, and ironically, they all start with the letter D. Disappointments, detours, distractions, and disobedience. These are the difficulties we face on the journey of life. Sometimes we face disappointments. God's people often found themselves disappointed in the wilderness, disappointed with the food, disappointed with the shelter, disappointed with the lack of security, disappointed with the leadership of Moses, disappointed with the provision of God. And we too experience disappointments in our journey as well. Disappointments with each other. Disappointment with people. Disappointment when our dreams that we have don't come true. These are like switchbacks that can stall us on the journey. Sometimes we end up on detours. You know, if you look at Israel's 40 years of wilderness wanderings on a map, it's not a straight line from Egypt to the promised land. It's like a bunch of circles. It's like them going in circles until they finally make it to the promised land. 
Our circumstances and our decisions sometimes push us in directions that we never imagined we'd end up going. You know, 15 years ago, um, after I left pastoral ministry and swore that I'd never pastor again, um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And um, I felt like I was on a detour, taking me in an opposite direction. And at one point, I went through the process to become a California correctional officer to work in California state prisons. And I passed the written exam, I passed the physical exam, and they had just started doing the background check. And I was on this trajectory. And I remember trying to imagine, how is my life going to look different as a correctional officer than it looked as a pastor? Now, ultimately... I didn't become a correctional officer. I took an administrative job at APU that after a couple of years became a pastoral job. And after a break from pastoral ministry, I became a pastor again, obviously, so I wouldn't be here. But that detour was a hard one in my life. Sometimes we have detours. Sometimes we get distracted. God's people often wanted to settle down in the wilderness, distracted by a sudden water source or an oasis they found in the desert, a promise of stability. And sometimes we get distracted by what's around us and willing to settle for what's right in front of us instead of continuing to press forward for where God is taking us. And sometimes we give in to disobedience in the journey. God's people often disobeyed God in the wilderness. They did it again and again. But the wilderness, the desert, was a highway of holiness for them. It was like obedience school. It was a place where they learned how to obey God by trial and error. It was a transformational journey, a journey that was not only leading them toward their destination, but was actually transforming them into the kind of people who are ready for their destination. This journey is filled with difficulties. The journey of life has switchbacks. Here's a second epiphany I think we get from this text. Following Jesus gets us closer to our final home. Following Jesus gets us closer to our final home, to the Father's house. If, if you're a Christian, this world is not your home. Let me say it again. This world is not your home. As Billy Graham used to say, heaven is my home. I'm just traveling through this world. Or as C.S. Lewis said, there are better things ahead than anything that we're leaving behind. There are better things ahead. Too many Christians in American culture don't understand this, that this world is not their home. Because we act as if it is sometimes, especially if our economy is prospering, our job is secure, our families are doing well. We forget that this world is the wilderness. It's the desert. And yes, there are parts of the wilderness that are beautiful, and enjoyable. And, and yes, we will find an oasis or two in the desert. But don't confuse that with home. Numerous times in the desert, God's people asked Moses, why can't we just settle down here? What's so special about the place that you're taking us? In fact, God's people actually rebelled against Moses and tried to kill him because he wouldn't let them stop. He kept pushing them forward because Moses knew that the desert could never be their final home. 
a temporary place to stay for a while, yes. A place of both testing and blessing, of trials and joys, yes. But it was not home. Following Jesus keeps us moving towards our final home, our Father's house, which he has paid the price to prepare for us. Here's the third epiphany. Following Jesus opens us up to God's truth. Opens us up to God's truth. Because Jesus is the way, he is also the truth. When it's hard to pick up a trail, hikers often build cairns like what you see on your screen to clearly mark the trail, a stack of rocks. A cairn is a stack of rocks that marks the trail so you don't go the wrong direction and get lost. Think of God's truth revealed in his word and revealed in Jesus as the cairns that God has placed along the trail through the wilderness to make sure we're moving in the right direction. Jesus is the truth. It's a rather exclusive claim. It can sound a little condescending or narrow-minded, but, but I don't think Jesus intends it to sound that way. I think Jesus means his words to be life-saving, a reliable guide through the dangerous terrain of this world, that Jesus is not merely a preference or an opinion or one option among many options. He is the very truth of God, and thank God he is, because without him, we'd be left to our own devices, and we all know how that ends up. One final epiphany. Following Jesus enables us to live our best life. Following Jesus enables us to live our best life. Because he is the way, he is also the life. And, and once again, as we found throughout this series, we find an I am statement linked to life. Jesus said in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In chapter 10, I am the gate that leads to life. In chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And then here in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Following Jesus is the best kind of life because it was the life you and I were created to live. Anything less than following Jesus is a cheap imitation of life, a shallow and hollow existence that falls well short of the abundant life that Jesus promises. Following him is our best life. So let me ask you today, how is the journey of your life going today? Have you started that journey with Jesus yet? Trusting your life to him so he can lead you through the dangerous desert, the wild wilderness of this world, to the true home you were made for. And if not, why not? What's holding you back you know, it's been said that every journey starts with the first step. And the first step in joining your journey to Jesus is trusting in him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe some of you have started that journey with Jesus, but somewhere along the lines you got stuck. Maybe you've hit some switchbacks and you don't know if you can make it. Maybe you've been hit with disappointments by others or you're on a detour. Maybe you've become distracted by other things. 
or maybe your own disappointment has stalled you. It's time to come back to Jesus and to start moving towards that final destination. What's holding you back from doing that today? Several years ago, there was a Christian author, and I'll end with this, named Thomas Kempis, and he wrote this wonderful book called The Imitation of Christ. And I love the way he paraphrases John chapter 14, verse 6. Kempis says, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. And Jesus is all three, inviting us to follow him. Let's pray. As we close our eyes and bow our heads, if you're here today and you have not joined your journey to Jesus yet, I think today's your day. And I invite you in the quietness of your own heart to acknowledge before God that you have sinned and you need to be set free from your sins, your failures and your mistakes, the ways you've hurt others and hurt yourself, the ways that you've dishonored him. And to place your trust in Jesus. All you have to do is, in the silence of your heart, say, Jesus, I trust you. Come into my life. I want to journey with you. And Father, may we as a church be a community of people who have not only done that, but who persist in this journey. That when switchbacks come and our hearts are heavy, we trust in you. When we get distracted or we disobey you, we're quick to repent and turn back and find forgiveness and get back on track. May you take us as a congregation closer and closer to our final home that we might be a people of the way, the way of holiness, the way of transformation. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.